This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Moon Dust Press. Are there any little witches in your life? Moondust Press is an independent publisher of children's books about witchcraft and magic, like Brina, a pagan picture book, and the C is for Coven board book. Brina is a gentle introduction to magical paths like green witchcraft and kitchen witchery, and C is for Coven teaches the ABCs by matching each letter of the alphabet with witchy terminology like A is for altar and B is for besom. You can find these and more upcoming titles for the little witches in your life by going to moondustpress.com. I am so thrilled to tell you about Ritualist, a modern witch shop located in New Paltz, New York, about 90 miles from New York City. Ritualist offers tools for healing and magic making, including apothecary goods, tarot and oracle decks, books and zines, spell candles and crystals, along with a selection of house plants and plant accessories. How delightful! All of the goods they carry are made with care and intention by individuals and small brands who share their values and visions for a brighter, more expansive future. Ritualist has been carefully curated with sustainability, inclusivity, and ethical practices in mind. They sell online at ritualistshop.com, and they're on Instagram at ritualist underscore shop, and they'll soon be offering in-person events and workshops for anyone who's local or planning to visit. And I love New Paltz, so I'm planning on popping in myself sometime. Best of all, Witchwave listeners get 13% off their first order with code WITCHWAVE. That's ritualistshop.com and code WITCHWAVE gets you 13% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. My friends, summer solstice is almost here and this is the holy day that I most associate with being our brightest, most radiant selves. It's the longest day of the year and it's a day that's full of fiery energy and lots of externalized expressions of joyfulness and yang and play. 
And some of us are emerging from this pandemic, and it feels like a particularly potent time to embrace solar sweetness in all its forms. The sun card of the tarot is associated with life force and abundance and innocence and vitality. And I'll admit that in the past, solar magic has been a little bit less attractive to me than lunar magic. I've always loved the moon and her mystery and shadow, and as a sensitive introvert and nocturnally oriented witch, I used to feel like the energy of the sun was too obvious too loud, too masculine, too much. But as I've gotten older, I've learned how important it is to embrace solar magic and to let it charge me up and help me build my strength and my confidence and my voice. To allow myself to be seen and to shine brightly and to appreciate warmth and light and the ways in which I am supported by them and can be a source of warmth and light for others at times too. And also to really internalize the idea that ease and pleasure and play are not indulgences, but that they are in fact necessities. We can cultivate delight as a magical practice, and in doing so, we are pointing ourselves in the direction of elevation, of trusting our desires and letting them carry us to higher levels of consciousness and care for ourselves, one another, and the planet at large. As Adrienne Marie Brown has written, quote, Pleasure is the point. Feeling good is not frivolous. It is freedom. Unquote. I was thinking about those words a lot during my conversation with today's guest, Halen Belay, a pleasure expert and abolitionist witch who sees feeling good as a key to personal and political liberation. In our discussion, we talk about sexual healing, shame revealing, and the ways that tending to our shadow can help us lead more pleasurable, more potent lives. But before we get to that, first let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Sierra writes, I love the witch. She has been a beloved persona for me since childhood and has become a lifeline to me in the past few years, a representation of my favorite personal qualities. More recently, however, she has started showing up in my dreams as a menacing figure and a source of of terror. While I typically try not to worry too much about dreams I can't control, 
I feel quite sad and confused about why she is causing me so much discomfort lately. Hi, Sierra. Well, I can absolutely see why this dream witch has been unsettling for you, because so often we get invested in the symbols and stories we love and feel so deeply attached to the meanings that we associate with them and with ourselves. But I know from experience that our unconscious has important messages for us, even if, sometimes especially if, those messages make us feel uncomfortable at times. I've often said the witch reflects our fears and our fantasies about feminine power, and that all of her aspects have something to teach us, including the terrifying parts of the archetype. So the question is, why is this version of the witch showing up for you now? And what messages is she offering you? Now, I can't possibly answer that for you, but there are some tried and true techniques for you to do a bit of dream excavation, if you will. You can journal and write down how this witch makes you feel and what she's bringing up for you. You can even do a bit of dialoguing on the page and literally ask her questions and then answer them as her. And I would recommend doing this journaling in as unedited and free-flowing a way as possible. In the workshops I teach with Janika Stuckey, we sometimes call this trance writing, and it's popularly known as stream of consciousness writing. And during this, strange things and surprising things might come out, but that is totally normal. You have nothing to be scared of, though. This witch is appearing for a reason, and whatever fear she is asking you to confront, or whatever shadow side of yourself or your life she is asking you to face, I am confident that you are ready for it which is why she's showing up in the first place. You can also try drawing a picture of what she looks like or making a collage, or you can certainly talk to a therapist or a trusted friend about her. You can meditate on her and have a conversation with her in your mind's eye. But whatever technique you land on, know that this is a really good example of what we mean by doing shadow work. You are interfacing with something that feels a bit dark and perhaps a bit discomforting, but you're doing so because you are being called on to reveal and heal some aspect of your life that you now have the strength and the skills to look at and learn from. What fears are you ready to face? What shame are you ready to dissolve? What shadowy nighttime figures are you ready to bring out into the daylight? The witch is not here to harm you. She is here to help you and guide you forward. So let's see where she leads and what illumination she's here to bring your life. You can do this. And remember... She may be a bit scary, 
but she's also very, very wise. Now, on to my guest. Halen Belay is a sex educator and health promotion professional with a focus in reproductive justice and intersectional holistic strategies for healing and care. With over a decade of hands-on experience developing award-winning health education programming and providing professional development for clinicians, educators, and activists, she has dedicated her life to teaching people of all ages practical skills for a healthier, more pleasurable life. In addition to her classroom work, Halen is also a yoga instructor and spiritual coach, offering workshops, trainings, and one-on-one coaching from a trauma-responsive, integrated mind-body-spirit perspective. And as you'll hear in our conversation, two of her witchcraft workshops, Abolitionist Witchcraft this Saturday on Juneteenth at Catland, and Pleasure Magic and the Inner Shadow in July at Sea Grape Apothecary, both sound incredible. Helen is the creator of the project's Sex Ed for All, My Feminism Involves Witchcraft, and Femiwitch, and she is a professional tarot reader and practicing witch. She also co-hosts a podcast herself called Emotional Labor and is the host of Cosmopolitan's web series, How to Sex Toy. Halen joined me from her home in Baltimore via Zoom. Helen Belay, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here, metaphorically. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to have you. When we were talking off mic just now, we were interrupted by the sound of cicadas, which was a first for me. Is that a common occurrence in Baltimore for you, Halen? It's actually a first for me, too. This is my first year in Baltimore, and apparently this is, I think it's called Brood X. It's like the biggest cicada swarm, I don't know, ever. I'm going to say ever because it's ever in my life. (laughs) It's truly, it's awe-inspiring and also kind of disgusting because (laughs) they're truly everywhere, and the noise they make is pleasant in small doses, but when there's hundreds of them... It's a little eerie, I should say. I feel like I'm in a a horror movie. (laughs) Well, let's hope not. I think we should press on and just assume the cicadas are not going to come for you. No, I don't think they eat people, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Well, listen, when I was reviewing all of the work that you do, Halen, I was so impressed. You wear all of these different hats as a sex educator, yoga instructor, tarot reader, witch... But there seems to be this really strong through line between all these different aspects of who you are and the different threads of your magical career. So I'm wondering how you would describe the intention behind all the different work that you do. What is the connective tissue there? I first have to give my Leo answer, which is me. I'm the connective tissue. I'm what they all have in common. Um, More seriously, uh, genuinely, I do mean that. I feel like I've been very lucky that my career has really taken the shape of 
me genuinely exploring things that I'm really excited about and interested in and passionate about and finding that people are also genuinely interested in those things and they're interested in having me filter it to them in a more digestible form as an educator, as a public speaker, whatever the form might be. Mm. There's on my website, I've got my manifesto, again, not to sound like a Leo or anything, but the mission statement that I have is that every person that has the right to the healthy exploration of pleasure. They have the right to an integrated life. They have a right to know themselves in all their different forms and all the different things that their human experience can contain. And they have a right to try and enjoy what brief human experience we are all given. It sounds really basic, but I think, especially this last year, that people have been really forced to reckon with their relationship with their bodies, their relationship with their day-to-day habits that were suddenly disrupted. The idea of making pleasure a focus of life is something that I think many people are awakening to the fact that they have totally disregarded that and thought of it as something that is like too indulgent, too irresponsible, too immature, to the point that I'm regularly talking to people who tell me not just sexually, but in all areas of life, you know, even as a terror reader, people telling me I'm trying to figure out what makes me happy. And I'm realizing I don't actually totally know what it feels like to be happy. Mm. So that's the through line, um, I think, is in all possible ways, whether it's in the I mean, I'm saying it is that they're separate, but they're all the same in the body, in the mind, in the spirit. It's all the same stuff. You're the same person in every place that you go. And hopefully having that experience of pleasure in one area of life makes it more accessible in other areas of life. And that is what I'm all about. Fuck yes. I love that pleasure is the organizing principle around your life. That's so, so beautiful. So let's talk about the work that you do under the rubric of what you call sex ed for all. I understand that you have private clients and you also teach workshops in schools and for nonprofits. And I'd love to hear more about what some of your clients or what some of the organizations that work with you can expect from a Halen session. What are some of the things that you offer? There's a lot of different ways that I come into rooms as an educator because there's a lot of different rooms that I'm lucky enough to be invited into. So I do work with K through 12 students and my K through 12 classes look very different from the adult sex ed classes that I teach, obviously. Uh, I'm usually <laughs> not talking to young people about witchcraft in my sex ed classes. You know, that's kind of a, uh, that's a separate conversation, probably not one that I'm going to have with them. But maybe secretly, maybe on the side. <laughs> you know, my my professional boundaries are such that I usually tell kids like, you know what, when you're 18, if you want to Google me and talk about stuff, we can. For the time being, I'm your sex ed teacher. And that's the umbrella of things that I can talk to you about. Makes sense. And it's a big umbrella. So, you know, we're not going to run out of things to talk about. I think when I'm teaching sex ed in K through 12 settings, I have found that actually the most effective ways to do it are not lying. I'm not saying it's not sex ed, but by being really specific that we're not talking about sex ed in the kind of stereotypical mean girls way of like, don't have sex, you'll die. But that like, (laughs) we're talking about specific things and usually it's social and emotional skills that are related to sex, but also related to things that are not about sex. So when I'm talking to young people about consent, I'm usually not leading with, today we're going to talk about consent. 
because about half the room is going to shut down immediately just from hearing that word. They're going to either be bringing stuff from whatever preconceptions they have that are going to be really hard for them to shake, or they're just going to be triggered by the concept of having that conversation in general and be tapped out for the rest of of class. Mm. So talking to young people, I like to really center it in the things that they are curious about and want to talk about with students who are like high school, college age. Usually what I'm talking to them about is how to have good sex, how to have the kind of sex life that you want to have. Not, not Maybe not right now today, but how to have the skills, the information, the knowledge that you need to make healthy decisions for you that you're going to feel happy with. Those are the same conversations that I'm having with adults. With adults, I can just be a little bit more explicit about the hows, the logistics, and also a little bit more expansive and holistic in the other areas of life that I'm talking about. So it might not be as appropriate for me to talk to a young person in a school setting about familial trauma stuff when we're in our sex ed class. Mm -hmm. They might disclose something to me that I then tell the appropriate person. But when I'm dealing with adults, whether it's one-on-one or in a classroom setting, those things come up and we're all grownups. So we can all really get into it, again, in a trauma-responsive and thoughtful way. But in a way that, you know, whether it's young people or adults, I want the information to feel like it is actually useful to someone's lived experience and not checking a box, which oftentimes for young people, they hear that I'm coming in as a sex ed teacher and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me like, okay, lady, (laughs) like, (laughs) what are you going to say that we haven't heard before that doesn't sound totally useless to us? Yeah, yeah. Are you able to talk to young people about pleasure or is that deemed inappropriate in a school setting? I just don't even know what's allowed. Yeah. I mean, every school is different. I have definitely been at schools before I was an independent educator when I was working for programs or having contracts with schools that were sort of through another organization. I was definitely in a lot of schools where I was doing a a sort of tightrope dance of being able to teach in a way that was authentic and genuine to my values and that was going to meet the boundaries that the school had laid out for me as a visiting teacher. Most sex educators in America are not at a school where they are the sex ed teacher. Most of the time, it's either someone who teaches something else who's being tapped to teach sex ed, or it's someone like me who's coming from outside. And in both of those situations, those are huge cons to having those people be the people teaching sex ed, right? The person who's not specialized in it probably isn't super ready to teach it. They probably (laughs) never had good sex ed to even base their teaching from. Sure. And for somebody like me, if I'm just coming in and talking to these young people for four classes, I'm not going to be able to build the relationships with them that are really going to make my teaching the most effective that it could be. So in these situations, especially, I have very little bargaining power in those working relationships. It was a big part, actually, of why I decided to go independent with my work, because I know um, this is not just like a a feeling. This is research backs that pleasure-based sex education is the best thing that we can be doing for our young people. If we say that we don't want young people to experience, you know, what in public health world we call negative health outcomes, pleasure-based sex ed is one of the most effective ways to address those negative health outcomes, be they related to things like STI transmission, um, unwanted pregnancies, or even just things like on the scale or spectrum of intimate partner violence. Like I think of the 
what sometimes gets called like the gray zone of consent violations, which I don't think it's very gray. It's Mm -hmm. just very common. Um, Mm -hmm. That kind of huge swath of experiences that many people don't even internalize as traumatic because they are so commonplace. The best way to address those things is pleasure-based sex education. And so ever since going independent in my work, I've been much more able to hold that boundary, not only for myself as an educator, but most importantly for my students and say, look, if you want me to come and talk to these young people, I am going to tell them the things that I think are the most important for them to know. I'm not going in there to be titillating, to be you know, salacious. They have seen things on TikTok, probably, that I cannot compete with in that department. <laughs> or Netflix, but I, right? I mean, Or Netflix, yeah. yeah. Let alone the whole entire internet. <laughs> I mean, I think about what I saw when I was 12 years old, not even looking for it. And the internet is a much bigger place than it was when I was 12 years old. Absolutely. So I am very curious how you became a sex educator I'm also really, really interested in your kind of multivalent identities and especially, you know, you are a witch as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your origin story and how you do or maybe do not in some rooms integrate these two aspects of your identity. Yeah. You know, I've told versions of my origin story many times over the course of my career. And in 2019, I got a big wrench thrown in that narrative that I was very familiar with, which is that at my big age of 26, I was diagnosed with ADHD, Mm. which in retrospect explained a lot about my origin story that I had previously just kind of been like, "Eh, that's just sort of the way that the story went. So the story is that as a young person, as a high school student, I was really involved in my high school's GSA, which then led to me getting involved with the Texas GSA. Oh, wait, is GSA still a term that I people I was just use? about to ask, <laughs> what is GSA? I'm not familiar with that. GSA is um, Gay Straight Alliance. Which, oh, so like, great, of course. Yeah, I think there, there's different things that schools call them now. But when I was in high school, our GSA was part of the Texas GSA network, and that was part of a national GSA network. And through my involvement, I started getting kind of more involved with these larger organizations, learning about how to take my activism to this larger scale. And one of the things that I experienced at my youth activism leadership camp was my first ever pleasure-based sex ed workshop. I was probably 14 or 15. Mm. And this was in the state of Texas, where it is still, uh, you can't legally give medically accurate sex education on school campuses. Um, this, This happened on a campsite. And it was a really incredible experience, not only to get this information, but to be getting it from people who were not that much older than me and who had a lot in common with me. People who I actually felt like, okay, I trust what you're telling me about sex because I just feel like you're not lying to me. I feel like the things that you're telling me make sense. That set the stage for once I got to college, still being very interested in health education, still being very interested in, you know, helping people live better lives, especially as I grew older and had experiences or saw my friends have experiences that, you know, I'd be in my health education classroom would be in some trauma responsive training and be like, well, hang on a minute. If we know all this information, if we know all this stuff that can help people, then why are people still experiencing these things? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so I was very interested in sex ed. I did a lot of other things in my college years. I worked in media consulting. For a while, I thought I was going to be a film critic. 
all kinds of different things. I noticed you were an anthropology major, as I was, so I was very pleased to see that. And as you know, anthropology is a great discipline for people who are just, (laughs) who have ADHD, who are generally interested (laughs) in people and culture and things and just kind of want to learn about all of it. Yeah. That's absolutely how I ended up in the anthro department. It was a department that would let me take the most classes outside of the anthro department. And I was like, that's exactly where I want to (laughs) be. Perfect. Perfect. So, Halen, where does the witchcraft piece come into your story? So yeah, that's um, that's the thing is that witchcraft was actually secretly there the whole time. It mm-hmm. just didn't really have a name or a shape yet. Um, so once I got through those college years of trying on all these different hats, um, doing all these different things, I had the aha moment of realizing that sex ed was something that people do as a job. You know, I was languishing about what I wanted to be when I graduated. And then I was like, oh, I'm already something and I already really like it. Through doing that work, though, I started noticing gaps things that I didn't know that I needed to know to help people, things that I didn't know that I needed to help myself on my own journey. And through exploring those gaps, that's sort of how I filled in all the rest. The witch stuff, the yoga stuff just came from deciding I was going to orient myself around helping people live healthier and more pleasurable lives and then just seeing emergent what that took me to and where that led me. So let's talk about those gaps, because it's sounding like you loved sex education, but there was something missing. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that witchcraft filled those gaps. What is that gap? Is it a gap of spirituality? What do you mean exactly? The way that I came into sex ed was always uh, through the lens, or I should say initially through the lens of activism. Um, So even going into it, I had a different perspective than the kind of straight and narrow public health perspective of what sex ed could or should be. And I think having that different perspective helped me see those gaps a lot more quickly because I would be in uh, sex ed classrooms or public health conferences, places where experts were talking about this thing that we were all passionate about. And saying things that were like either just blatantly racist or anti-Black or things that were just completely misguided, things that I would hear a teacher say and be like, oh my gosh, I hope they didn't say that to a student. Mm. People who work around sexuality who have not really any foundation in understanding trauma or how to work with trauma-impacted people. And so the gaps were not so much specifically spirituality and witchcraft, But as I was trying to fill in those gaps, one of the things that I found that was very useful was witchcraft and spirituality. And specifically that witchcraft and sort of the witchcraft that I practice in particular by centering myself as a source of power and authority in my life was a way to kind of shield myself and create boundaries around my work, like the boundary we were discussing earlier of saying, actually, I don't want to do this work if I can't do it this way. So I'm not doing it this way. It doesn't feel like the work. That's not something that just came from, you know, I know these things factually and so I'm going to do this because I logically think it's the right thing to do. It came from that plus the fact that for years I had been doing this more spiritual work that was built around helping me to connect with an authority, a power, a potency that was always there. Um, Something that when I was younger was explored in my family through more folk methods that didn't really have a name. You know, we didn't really call it witchcraft. Mm. As an adult, the term witch and kind of the framework of witchcraft became a lot more useful to me. But I think of all of these things as, you know, I use these words because we need words to communicate. (laughs) But all of these words are a reflection of the same thing. 
I don't want to take us too off track, but I'm sure we'll talk about this in a moment, but I'm doing a bunch of stuff around Dungeons and Dragons and like role-playing games right now. (laughs) I love that. Which sounds like a huge left turn, but it's actually, it's another reflection of the same thing. That same thing being the human experience and the possibility of feeling pleasure and comfort in our bodies, which is a possibility that feels unfortunately very far away for a lot of people. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. There are more witches out there and we need to find them. The Freeform original series Motherland Fort Salem is back for season two. Motherland Fort Salem takes place in an alternate universe version of modern day America, where a woman who is a witch must join the army and use her powers to defend the nation. A recent discovery revealed that there are women in the world who don't know they possess the gift. And now, the search is on for these hidden witches. Finding them is more urgent than ever, because their ancient enemy has returned to wipe all witches from the face of the earth. Motherland Fort Salem is a show with mind-blowing magic, terrifying danger, and a powerful sisterhood. It's a world unlike any you've seen before. These are not the witches you've heard stories about. The season premiere of Motherland Fort Salem, Tuesday, June 22nd on Freeform, next day on Hulu. Dive into the magic of stories with an independent, witch-owned bookstore. From occult how-to books to fictional tales, the Spiral Bookcase carefully curates stories that give you a glimpse through the worn spot in the tapestry and a chance to transcend reality for a moment or two. Explore magical books alongside a bewitching collection of candles, tarot decks, crystals, and ritual objects, all hand-selected for their wonder and enchantment. We have to support our indie bookshops right now more than ever, so please go on ahead and visit the Spiral Bookcase virtually at spiralbookcase.com or follow along on Instagram for recommendations, sneak peeks, and more from bookseller and owner Victoria. That's at Spiral Bookcase. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which, let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days. I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. 
Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Plus, they offer financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, Witch Wave listeners, that's you. Get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Halen Belay. So Halen, you just brought up Dungeons and Dragons. I did not have this on my question list, but I really need to dive deeper on that. Can you please expand upon this new focus of yours? I will happily expand on it. Um, So (laughs) I will start my explanation by saying that this is not a departure from the work that I do around pleasure. It's rather an expansion of my work around pleasure to include other types of play um, and sort of play as the broader umbrella under which pleasure are really they're kind of like coexisting concepts different name for the same thing. Mm. D&D, for those of you who are not intimately familiar with it, is an imagination game that's been around for like 40 or 50 years at this point that incorporates dice rolling with um, sort of improvisational collective storytelling. There's a lot of different ways to play D&D. There's a way to play D&D that has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about that's really mechanics focused and involves a lot of like math and is maybe the more stereotypical vision of what people think of when they think nerds playing role-playing games. Hmm. And then there is the version of D&D that I think is magical and is what is so enduring about this game, which is you get a bunch of people around a table and you say, okay, we're all going to inhabit characters who are not us and go on an adventure where we have the ability to make choices that actually impact our environment, where we're called on to use lots of different creative problem-solving methods And this entire experience is being stewarded by someone who we trust to make this in a safe environment for us to do all of those things. Mm. That is the same type of experience I'm having when I'm in a sex ed classroom, when I'm teaching a yoga class, when I'm in a one-on-one tarot reading. The experience that I'm hoping to cultivate is I want to be stewarding something, a space where the people in that space feel like they can explore and play and be more expansive in how they see themselves, how they understand their relationship to the world. And D&D, or really just tabletop role-playing, role-playing games in general, are a really amazing way to do that. If anyone ever can relate to the concept of working out stuff you probably should have worked out in therapy in The Sims, right? That's me (laughs) in high school, for sure. It's sort of like that, but with a social element and with the expansiveness of, you know, you're only limited by your imagination. There is no game code. So if you want to do something that is totally outside of what your dungeon master, as they're called, was planning for that experience, that is allowed because you're playing imagination games. And that has been something that, especially in this last year, um, I am definitely not the only person who has 
become infatuated with D&D for all of these qualities during a time where we're more socially isolated than ever. There's less ability to do things and feel impactful than there has been in a long time. And also there's less opportunities to feel that lightness that comes with really being in a state of flow and a state of play with other people, especially strangers. Mm, I love that so much. And so do you have a certain project you're working on around D&D or is this just something that you're thinking about a lot these days? Yeah, so I'm currently, going back to that ADHD point, I'm currently in the process of turning this hobby into a project, as I've done with all of my hobbies. But this project, I think, is going to take a couple of different shapes. So for anyone who's listening from Baltimore, I'm actually going to be hosting a couple of Gamer of Color POC D&D nights. So check out my Instagram for that if you're local. If you're not local, but you're someone who's very curious about learning how to play D&D, or someone who already plays D&D who's curious about using more trauma-responsive, sex-positive tools at the table, also hit me up on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. I will be having some stuff probably starting in July where I'm planning on running some online tables for beginners and specifically for beginners of color who maybe have not seen themselves in the D&D community and did not realize D&D was a thing that they could do. Ah, that is so rad, Halen. Well, I'm very happy to have taken this D&D detour with you. <laughs> I want to get us back to talking about witches specifically, because I really love that you do embody this word. You have a project called Femo Witch. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You know, to me, much of the reclamation of the archetype of the witch that we're seeing now is about taking allegedly taboo or allegedly shameful or shadowy aspects of life and honoring them as divine, whether that's desire or feminine power or queerness or otherness of any sort, D&Dness, let's say <laughs> nerdness. Yes. And so I'd love to hear more about the phrase Fema Witch and the project that you call Fema Witch. How has that yes. evolved? It's evolved quite a lot. It's a project that started when I was fresh out of college. It, I probably wouldn't have named it the same thing if I were starting it today. Feminine Witch is sort of an abbreviation of my feminism involves witchcraft. And anthropology major to anthropology major. I'm sure you understand. I was at a phase, <laughs> fresh off graduation with my bachelor's in anthropology, where I was really excited about the term witch and the concept of witchcraft as a political orientation as a sort of direct refutation of patriarchal hegemony, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I'm glad for that because that led me into a much deeper and I think more useful practice, the practice that I have today. So when I say I wouldn't necessarily name it the same thing today, it's not because I hate the name, but because the thing that I was trying to communicate with that name, which is witchcraft exists everywhere in my life, including politically, at the time, I wanted to emphasize the relationship to feminism. I think now the relationship, as we've been talking about for most of this conversation, is really more about the relationship to pleasure and play much more expansively. The concept of like radical healing that is certainly not excluded by my feminism involves witchcraft. But I think especially as this conversation has gotten bigger and bigger and has unfortunately been co-opted in some really upsetting and sad ways. I think, I'll put it this way. I have specific beef with the phrase, we're the daughters of the witches that you couldn't burn. I'm sure mm -hmm, you've seen this mm -hmm. before. Oh, yes. 
It's also historically inaccurate. Has but nothing anyway. to do with history. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and this is one of the things that, you know, when I'm teaching workshops about using witchcraft, whether it's from a political lens or from kind of a self-care, self-help lens, I try to be really careful to emphasize what I am not talking about when I talk about this kind of practice of witchcraft that is really expansive and can be healing and can be radical. I am not talking about we're the daughters of the witches that you couldn't burn because that is a really silly, ahistorical, and frankly, whitewashing of witchcraft, magical resistance, and also literally what happened in Salem, which had nothing to do with witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And it is specifically upsetting to see, I think, especially with how easy it is for it to proliferate on social media platforms when people are using this language or using this aesthetic or using this this thing that is actually very genuinely helpful to a lot of people in order to repackage and sell the same toxic stuff that a lot of people are coming to this practice to get rid of, to specifically shed from their lives. One classic example that I see a lot as a sexuality educator is all of these kind of like new agey myths about sexual intimacy and sexual energy and twin flames and, you know, the the divine feminine being like, directly connected to your genitals. They're repackagings of slut shaming, bioessentialism, transphobia, like things that we already have names for, we already know are actually really not cool that unfortunately have been effectively hidden in a lot of cases by the aesthetics of something that seems more radical like witchcraft. So beautifully said. That actually pivots me to a workshop that you are about to teach By the time this episode airs, it will be this coming weekend, Juneteenth. And this is your workshop called Abolitionist Witchcraft. You'll be teaching it at Catland. And I know that you taught a version of this last year as well. So what is Abolitionist Witchcraft? And what will students be learning from you in this class? Yeah. So to give sort of the the SparkNotes version of the two-hour answer to that question, (laughs) Abolitionist Witchcraft is uh, a framework. Really, all the workshops that I teach, I'm offering a framework. They're not rules, but it is a framework for understanding the relationship between the politics of our current moment and of history and the spiritual practice that has become so popular, um, practices around witchcraft, spirituality, sort of non-theistic experience of divinity. The two are very closely intertwined. Uh, It's one of the reasons why that Salem thing gets my goat so much, because if you really want to talk about the history of magical resistance and witchcraft as resistance in the United States, Salem, Massachusetts is the last place you'd be looking. Uh, There's many, many other places that you should be looking first. And so I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about not just the history of magic, the history of thinking about these things as connected, but also the very present moment of it and how people who identify as witches or people who are curious about using that framework in their own lives can think about using that framework critically and effectively when talking about their political values as well. Because as I said before, we're the same people everywhere we go. And Mm. the lie that like our political life, our spiritual life, our sex life, our social life, these are all separate things can really get people fucked up. I hope I can swear. Uh, It gets people fucked up to think of these things as separate. They're really, really not. 
And by thinking of them as more connected, I think that we can do a lot to deepen our relationship with not only these things outside of ourselves, but also with ourselves. Absolutely. Now, when this class of yours came onto my radar last year, it was in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the subsequent protests and kind of mass scale conversations around race and blackness specifically. And I'm curious if teaching this class again in 2021 feels different for better or for worse. Yeah, I think it definitely feels different for better and for worse. You know, I think there is an element of it that feels a little bittersweet because the energy that existed uh, around this time last year towards abolition as a project has really died down. Like there was a level of radical politics that I had not really brought into my public work because it wasn't very popular. And around this time last year, it was like, oh my God, it actually is really popular. And not only is it popular, but people are hungry to learn about it. I would love to tell them about it. I'm glad that wall was broken because I'm glad to be talking about it more in my professional work. I'm glad to be teaching this workshop again and to be teaching it with even more kind of foundation to stand on, I suppose you could say, when it comes to talking about integrating these two practices and doing it in a way that feels authentic. But I do feel that this time around, I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time talking about the why and why this is important and why this really matters than I felt like I needed to last year. Mm -hmm. Um, It does sort of feel like some of the, the heat and the energy that people were having. It's like as soon as there was an opportunity to not be that engaged anymore, it feels like a lot of people stopped being engaged. Yeah, I've definitely been noticing that too. And I don't know if you saw that article around all of these different companies that last year were proclaiming that they were going to make all of this difference and, you know, all of these new diversity initiatives Mm -hmm. and whatever. And like almost nothing has changed if you follow the money. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really, really heartbreaking. There has been a lot of posturing and not necessarily a lot of follow through, which I'm sure just feels exhausting as hell. It's been an interesting year to be having these kinds of political conversations in public because I think that that posturing that you're talking about is not only happening with companies, it's also just happening with the people that you know who have 200 followers. When I saw that Tinder made it so that you could put BLM in your bio as like a hashtag or whatever, that's when I knew that we were lost as a Mm, nation. mm. When I knew there was no redeeming possibility because what the hell is that? the things that people feel like they now can do that will absolve them of their guilt is quite distressing. So I hope in this workshop to be able to illustrate those things clearly enough that people who are talking the talk actually feel like they can walk the walk and know how to sort of put their money where their mouth is. Hell yes. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. 2,000 years ago, in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras candles, my favorite. Handmade from the purest East Coast golden cappings beeswax with that natural, subtle, honey and floral scent, Mithras candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries 
of your life. Mithras candles come in natural gold and rich black varieties. You can also get them in their signature, stunning, hand-dripped style, or you can choose their smooth and rustic version. They also have wide pillars for sale if you're feeling extra expansive with your magic. And very exciting, they now have new long sleeve black t-shirts for sale. And I am so excited to get mine because I love a long sleeve shirt and this one is gorgeous. So go on ahead to MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com. And use offer code WITCH for 13% off your first order. That's MithrasCandle.com. And offer code WITCH gets you 13% off your first order. Thank you, Mithras. Seasonal Steep is an experiential subscription box that honors the wheel of the year with a potent combination of herbal medicine, astrology, and tarot. Part tea ceremony, part ritual, and part online class, Seasonal Steep helps you create a space for discovery and healing through a transformative experience that unites body and mind. Four times a year, Seasonal Steep subscribers receive a beautiful box designed to honor the season and strengthen you on your journey. Each box includes tea to feature a seasonal herb, reusable tea bags, a silk altar cloth, and admission to an online class in which you'll learn about each herb alongside an exploration of planetary and tarot archetypes. Your Seasonal Steep subscription connects you to your body and the natural world to create harmony and healing. You'll also be contributing to an important organization aligned with their values. This spring Seasonal Steep box honors water and our earth by donating 10% of proceeds to Charity Water. Subscription details are available at SeasonalSteep.com and on Instagram at SeasonalSteep. And this spring, they will be exploring Dandelion, so join them in creating a deeper relationship with plant allies. And... When you go to SeasonalSteep.com, be sure to use promo code WITCHWAVE for 10% off. That's SeasonalSteep.com. Would you like even more WITCHWAVE? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus WITCHWAVE Plus episodes, ad-free WITCHWAVE episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Halen Belay. 
So, Halen, we talked about a workshop that you're teaching this weekend. You have another one coming up on July 17th at the Marvelous Sea Grape Apothecary. I love them. And that workshop is called Pleasure Magic and the Inner Shadow, which sounds incredible. And in the description of the class, you write, quote, this class explores and explains the physiological pathways of shame, pleasure, and intuition. Hint, they're the same, unquote. Spoiler alert for anyone who's going to attend this class, but I'm wondering what exactly you mean when you say that the physiology of these things is in fact the same. Yeah, if you're going to the class, plug your ears so you don't hear the big spoiler. Ah, (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, I mentioned earlier finding that there were all these gaps in what I was able to teach people or what I was able to do for myself. And one of the really big gaps that I found maybe three or four years ago was physically. I had like my basic knowledge of anatomy from like high school biology and hadn't really gone further than that. And I knew enough about the human body and the human experience to know if I'm talking to people about their sex lives, there's a lot of physical stuff beyond just genitals that are involved in sexuality. That's part of where my decision to get my yoga teacher certification came from. It's part of what's brought me much deeper into like somatics and uh, self-body work as an area of education, area of study, and into a richer understanding of my body, not as something that is sort of carrying my experience, but as the instrument through which I'm having that experience, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I start off almost all of my workshops about witchcraft by getting really nerdy and talking about uh, the Cartesian lie that our mind and body are separate things and really giving people the tools and the information to understand your emotions are a thing that happens physiologically. So whether you feel safe and comfortable, whether you feel scared and anxious, that's not just a feeling that you have in your brain somewhere. It's something that is happening throughout your body. The nervous system has these really important life-sustaining, life-preserving strategies for telling you, hey, something dangerous is happening. Or, hey, where you are right now is actually really cool. So you can relax and maybe do stuff you wouldn't do if you weren't relaxed, like eat or sleep or have sex. Mm -hmm. Talking about shame in particular, shame is also on that same physiological pathway. It's part of the same life-preserving strategies because shame is supposed to be the signal that tells you this is not safe, right? Something dangerous is happening. You need to attend to what's going on because what's happening is potentially socially embarrassing and the human body and brain cannot really distinguish between social death and literal death. Our connection to pleasure, our connection to shame, our connection to work, our connection to food, all of those things are ruled, I suppose you could say, by our parasympathetic nervous system. For any of the anatomy nerds out there who are familiar with polyvagal theory, a lot of my workshops use polyvagal theory, which is a theoretical understanding of how our parasympathetic nervous system works in conjunction with our emotional and somatic states. Taking all that nerdy stuff I just said, And phrasing it in the language that is more familiar to people of bodily experience, embodiment, and spiritual experience. Um, We know what the experience of intuition feels like. We've all walked into a room and had a gut feeling of something. So by giving people the information of, hey, did you know that that gut feeling that you have is also connected to the part of you that knows when you're in the mood to have sex? 
or the part of you that's able to kind of relax and go to sleep at night or the part of you that kind of has a little bit of a humiliation kink and can't stop replaying that really embarrassing thing that you did in fifth grade over and over again. Mm -hmm. All these things are connected. They're all trying to keep you alive. And so understanding that and building a relationship with that of collaboration, right? You are actually trying to help me. So let me try and help you and listen to what you have to say instead of trying to control and shut you down. Mm. So I got to say, Halen, as someone who is meeting you for the first time, I mean, I've been familiar with your work for a long time, but you come across as like this incredibly radiant, healthy, fully healed, fully integrated, (laughs) radical being in the world. But I have to imagine that that's been a journey for you, right? So no, it's all true. I came out of the womb that way. I'm done with my growing. You're right. You're totally right. But I really do think it's useful for listeners to hear. Like, you don't have to disclose anything super raw, but did you have any of your own shame or shadow that you've had to face along the way? I'm wondering, for example, like in your family structure, are they pretty supportive of your interest in sexuality and witchcraft? Were there any hurdles there? Whatever comes to mind when I ask you about your own shadow and shame that you might have had to contend with to become the amazing, bright, radiant Leo that you are today. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that I love telling this story that my mom well into my 20s would tell me that she was still a virgin. So that is the level of openness around sexuality (laughs) that there was in the house that I grew up in. I think though that that shame or that kind of lack of communication around these things actually is a huge part of what propelled me into, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say like it's surprising, um, surprise, the repressed kid who wasn't allowed to know these things grew up and organized their entire life around these things. You're like, um, yeah, sex and witches, bring it on. Exactly. All the stuff I'm not allowed to do, that is exactly what I want to learn more about. But more than just like a rebellious streak, because I actually didn't really have much of a rebellious streak you know, my relationship to all of these things and growing into all of these things was a journey of learning to look at all the stuff that I was ashamed of and learning how to say, these are the parts that I identify with and that I want to claim and claim in public and claim loudly. And these are the parts that I don't identify with that I want to learn ways to integrate, unlearn, you know, develop new patterns around whatever the case may be. I'm pretty open in a lot of the classes I teach, especially the classes I teach that are specifically about trauma about the fact that my journey to witchcraft was one that started in the aftermath of pretty intense trauma. That I was going through the sort of traditional process of healing trauma, going to therapy, and realizing that I needed something else to help me. That going to talk to somebody, as helpful as talking to somebody was, I would never knock therapy. But for me and the things that I was trying to sort of unlearn and unpackage, you know, I had that big trauma that had just happened, but I also had a lifetime of trauma that I was processing and understanding, okay, wait, there's actually a bunch of different experiences I had before this big experience that were really messed up that I shouldn't have had. And how do I understand those experiences and how those things have affected me now as an adult? It really started with tarot. Tarot as a way of literally like speaking my intuition's language. Um, I got my first tarot deck thinking it would just be like a for funsies thing to mess around and then would do these readings where I was like, oh, wow, I just pulled three cards and those three pictures just knocking on my ass for the rest of the afternoon. Like I mm-hmm. sit and think about this mm-hmm. and sort of through developing that 
fluency, I guess you could say, that expertise in that language, to whatever extent now it seems like I am done with my shadow work, which I'm certainly not, nobody is. But my comfort with it comes from the fact that I have been building this relationship for a very long time. And just like a physical muscle in your body, your somatic skills, um, your ability to tolerate distress, to like think of something really shameful and not freak out on a body level, that's something that you build over time. Like you don't just go to the gym first day and pick up 300 pounds and expect that you're going to be able to totally crush it. Same thing for shadow work. You should not jump into shadow work with the most shameful, the most stressful, the most intense things that you believe about yourself and have that be like, okay, day one shadow work, I'm going to uproot all of this stuff. It's one of the kind of beginner mistakes I see all the time with people who are kind of coming to witchcraft because they want to have relief in their lives, but they're coming to it still having that kind of like capitalist rational perspective of for my first spell, I'm going to manifest a completely different personality <laughs> um, or like I'm going to manifest that I'm always happy and I'm never sad. And that is that is not really what magic can do for us. It's not really, in my experience, what magic has done for me, what tarot has done for me, has let me quiet down enough to listen to what my intuition is already communicating to me. Again, especially in the aftermath of trauma, but also just baseline as a woman in the world, as a Black woman in the world, as a queer Black woman in the world, like as just a human being existing under capitalism, the idea that I have inner wisdom is intrinsically a radical idea. And building up my belief in that idea and building up my ability to actually live that idea in my day-to-day, -day, absolutely. It took a very long time and will continue to take a very long time because it's not a process that you get to the end of and you get a diploma and they're done. <laughs> um, I mean, I say it all the time with trauma too, that we're taught that trauma is like, you're at point A, something happens, you're at point B, and you're trying to get back to point A. And the reality is that trauma is a physiological, a somatic state. It's a response to things in our environment. And it's something that is in all of us. We all have the capacity to have that experience if we're exposed to the right stimuli. So rather than thinking of it as something that you need to get rid of and no longer identify with at all, how can you understand it as something that is part of your intuition's language and vocabulary that it's trying to communicate with you with? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Halen, for our last question, I'm going to get us out of the shadow and into the sunlight yes. because <laughs> in a couple days it will be summer solstice. As we mentioned, this weekend is Juneteenth. So there's a lot of celebratory, liberatory energy in the air. And I'm wondering as a final note, if you have any recommendations or insights that you feel compelled to share for people listening who want to mark either or both of these holy days? Yeah, I mean, I know you said you wanted to get us out of the shadow, but I think actually one of my biggest tips for kind of taking advantage of that really joyous and pleasurable energy is that this is actually a really good time to do shadow work. I know it maybe sounds counterintuitive of like shadow work is something that has to happen in the winter when it's dark and you're depressed already. But in the class, Pleasure, Magic, and the Inner Shadow, I'll be talking a lot more about this idea. But the short version of it is we actually are best able to strengthen that muscle of that shadow work, kind of self-understanding, self-compassion when we're in an environment that feels really safe and comfortable. 
And again, this might be the Leo in me talking. I can't imagine a thing that would make me feel more safe and comfortable than the sunniest, longest day of the year. It's actually a really beautiful time to use the safety and comfort and radiance that you feel from our sort of astrological and meteorological surroundings to create that really safe container where you can start to experiment with and learn about that self-compassion and self-understanding. So gorgeous. And that makes so much sense that the safer we feel, the more we can delve into the discomfort that we might not have the strength to come face to face with otherwise, right? Totally. There's actually, there's a great biomechanics metaphor for this, which is flexibility actually has very little to do with the structure of your muscles and has to do with your nervous system and how safe your joints feel moving through different ranges of motion. I feel like this is a very similar thing. You're more likely to be able to extend yourself into new ranges of motion, emotionally speaking, when your nervous system is really, really confident that you are safe and it's safe to do so. Ah, what a beautiful note to end on. Well, listen, Halen, I am confident that people are going to want to know more about you and your work. What is the best way for them to find you? For sure. So I'm on Instagram at halen.co, H-A-Y-L-I-N. That is also my website, halen.co. It is also my TikTok, although I don't think there's a dot in it. I think you can do dots on TikTok. Also my email, hi at halen.co if you want to get in touch that way. But uh, yeah, those are, the, those are the primary ways to find me. The Halen CO experience. Exactly. The nice thing about having a unique name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, Halen, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to share your shadow and your radiance with me today. Thank you so much for being on The Witch Wave. Of course. Thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Halen Belay for making the world more pleasurable. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Josh Wilcox, thank you Josh, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other apps and give us lots of sparkly stars, if you will. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs>